0: This is Mark Kelly and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleeds.net. Well, it's good to be here, and uh, it's nice to have a shorter journey here. We usually come from Coventry, but today we've come from Keithley, so it's been a quick journey, which has been lovely. And it's great to be with you, and my wife is here. I think she's downstairs with our son and daughter. And it's nice to be here as a family, with the family of God. If you've got your Bible, just tell me to Matthew chapter 12. Just as the children came forward, Mark, I just had a word... Uh, for you, particularly I know Kathy may be downstairs with the children, I think <clears throat> just add a word for you and Kathy together, that the Lord would say to you to not see yourself anymore as apprentice, to not see yourself anymore and your wife anymore as apprentice, for you're not apprentice anymore, you're a father and mother, just as you are in the natural, so you are in the spiritual, and it's time for you to realize that you are not the mentee, but you are the mentor. That doesn't mean that you don't go on receiving instruction and receiving brothers and sisters will do you good in your life because we all need that around us. But it means this, that the way, I just believe the way you and Kathy need to see yourself is not the apprentice, but now, for the want of a better phrase, I know it's Star Wars language, as the master. But as a master, benevolent master, as a father in the house. I just saw you as the kids came forward. I just felt that God wanted you to invest more and more in that generation coming through. And that this church will invest more in that generation coming through. Because that generation coming through needs to have the same spiritual DNA as many of these people who are older have got. And have lived through so much. You know, I just believe that talking with a number of guys across the churches that we're part of... Especially if they're a little bit older, it's like, oh, do you remember that Bible week? Do you remember that time when God moved? And I'm painfully aware that many people under their 20s and 30s and even younger kids have not experienced those things. And it's time for them to experience those things. And let me say this to you, when those men of God that moved across the land, like Brennan, Kerry and others in this land, they were in their 30s and 40s when they were doing that. So it's time to realize that we are, you are not meant to be a kid you are meant to be a dad in the house amen? amen and that's the way God sees you that's the way your father sees you and that's the way your father sees your wife so I just wanted to say that over you right now Mark asked me asked me to share on harvest this morning I really felt as I was preparing in the week that God led me to talk about developing our hearts for the harvest that God wants you to see the harvest in here before you see it out there That God wants you to see, not lack, not uh, defeat, but to see victory and harvest in your heart long before you necessarily see it in the physical realm. That actually what you see in your heart becomes more real than what you see in the physical realm. Can you say amen to that? The Bible says this, that, that what is invisible is more real than what is visible. It says that what is visible was made out of what is invisible. So there's an entire realm that we can't see with our physical eyes that is more real and has more longevity than this physical realm. And if we start to see from that perspective, we won't just be those that commentate on the circumstances of life, but we will see what God has put in our heart and speak that forth and see change. Isn't that what God did in creation? If you look at Genesis 1 closely... It says it was chaos and darkness and then God said. God didn't say, oh no, it's chaos and darkness. He said, light be. That which was inside of Himself, He spoke out. That which was in His heart, that was in the core of His being, was light. The Bible says that there is in God light. There's no darkness at all. So what was in Him, He spoke out and it changed the circumstance. Can I suggest to you this is how the kingdom of God works? People say, well, the kingdom's this and the kingdom's that. The kingdom of God is this, God's way of operating. You know God's way of operating? It's what's in His heart. He speaks forth and things happen and things change. It's God's rule in action and God rules by the word of His mouth. In Isaiah 55, it says that the word of God does not return to Him void. that it accomplishes that for which He sent it. And God has given His Word in your mouth and He wants you to speak it because you're His child and expect the same results as when He speaks it. you say Amen? Amen. But it's not what sometimes we do is we get excited for a time about the Bible and we may read some Scriptures and we may speak some Scriptures out loud and we may think, oh, I believe that promise, I'm going to speak that forth. And we don't see it happen and we give up. But it's more important that you place the word in your heart, that you develop a heart that's ready for harvest, than just speaking out of your mouth all the time. We're not into sort of just making mental confessions out of our mouth. It has to be out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. It's just inevitable. Jesus said so. What's in your heart in abundance, that's what comes out of your mouth. So if you get out of this room and say that preacher was an FFF blah blah blah, that's the abundance of your heart coming out. Okay? If you get out and say that preacher was the best thing to sliced bread, you'd be right. And it's the abundance of knowledge It's the abundance of your heart coming through. Amen? So God wants you to speak from the abundance of your heart. So if your heart's gonna overflow and speak out of your mouth, it's important what you put in there. And I believe we need to develop a heart that is expectant for God to move. You know, sometimes when we've lived through a number of years and we've maybe been disappointed when we seemingly God didn't come through or seemingly the church didn't grow or seemingly this happened and the other happened, it can bring a disappointment in our heart. The Bible says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. But the best remedy to heal your heart is put in the promises of God. Let the healing promises of God come into your heart. Let the life of God, let the life of His Spirit come into you again. Your harvest is linked with the content of your heart. So in Matthew 12, Jesus says this. He's speaking to the Pharisees, and in the context of the Scripture, I'm going to read verse 34. But the Pharisees have come along to Him and said, You are casting demons out by the devil. He's saying, you are on the same side as the devil. That's what the Pharisees said to Jesus. Can you believe that? And and Jesus gets into this discourse with them, and we pick up the discourse in in verse 34. He says this, you brood of vipers. Doesn't sound very gracious, does it? Jesus talking to a whole bunch of people and calling them a brood of vipers. But he says, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you put in your heart, out of that, that's what comes out of your mouth. So we have a responsibility to put the right things in our heart. Amen? I'm not talking about the organ of the heart, I'm talking about the inner core of who you are. The Bible talks about the hidden man of the heart. It's the, it's the real you that we can't see this body is just the casing the real you is inside and what you place in that by what you take into yourself of word because word is a spiritual currency what you take into yourself of words of images makes this heart what it is in, on the inside and it says in verse 35 a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things good things And so an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. I mean, it's kind of simple stuff. You know, when Jesus taught, it was kind of easy to understand him. In fact, Jesus can say one thing and Paul takes a whole letter to the underpack what Jesus has said in one sentence. Jesus was an amazing teacher of the Word. Still is. And first of all, I just want to give you a few little notes on this verse I've just read the word good there in the Greek is agathos and it means good it means well, it means benefit so Jesus is saying that a man who is well who has the benefits of God on the inside out of that wellness, out of that benefit like David says, bless the Lord all my soul, my inner man and forget not all his benefits, who forgives my sin, heals my diseases, who redeems my life from the pit, crowns me with loving mercy and tender kindness. Wow! This is the stuff that was in David's heart. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. Because God was in his heart. The Word was in his heart. Amen? And you have a situation where it says that the good man out of the good deposit, it's a sowing. What you sow in your heart will eventually harvest. In this British society, it's all about cynicism and knocking somebody down to get yourself looking a bit better out of insecurity and inferiority. And even in the church, it's rife where one particular ministry doesn't like another ministry, so they'll criticize it to kingdom come. That is not what we're supposed to be involved in as the church of God. We're supposed to be involved in edification. Edification. We're supposed to be involved in empowerment, building one another up in our most holy faith. Amen? Amen. But what's in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. And the word evil there that Jesus referred to in the Greek language is translated porneros, which is where we get the word pornography from. And uh, porneros talks about being hurtful. It talks about an evil influence. It's a derivative of the word ponos, which means toil or hard labor. This whole set of verses that Jesus talks about, he's actually referring back to the fall of man. He's saying, look guys, if you on the inside have an image of you as perverted, as fallen, as not well on the inside, as evil, as under evil influence full of hurt, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? The same stuff. But if you see yourself the way I see you, if you see yourself as good, if you see yourself as well because of what I've done, then that's what's going to come out of your mouth. And that's what's going to produce a harvest. In fact, when Jesus turns to the Pharisees, he's actually teaching them by calling them a brood of vipers. If you study that phrase out, what you find is this. It means this. You who have been brooded over by the serpent. Literally, your mother is the serpent. You don't know where you've come from. You think you're from Abraham. Didn't he say to them in another place, your father is the devil? So he's using that same idea, that the brooding serpent over these people who are spouting forth this garbage about Jesus being under the demonic influence. And it's so interesting for me that that Jesus says, look, if you have this idea that you've got to toil to exist because you're full of evil and you're unworthy, then that's what you're going to produce, even if you try and produce something else. But if you see yourself the way He sees you, if you see yourself worthy because of the blood of Jesus, if you see yourself as a victor, not a victim, if you see yourself as righteous because of what He has done, not because of your record then it's going to have an effect down the line. Can you say amen? (coughs) You see, work and toil are two different things. Toil is working to exist. We often think as Christians we have this wrong image in our hearts that we've got to toil to get God's approval. The more we do stuff for God, the more He's going to approve of us. But actually, He already approves of us. And the amazing thing is, that doesn't mean we sit down and do nothing because God's approved of us. It means, as Mark said earlier, we can actually then now become a co worker with Him because we see what He sees and our heart is filled with what His heart is. God literally wants you and me to be involved in continual creation. Hasn't He put the light of glory in our hearts? So why focus on the stuff that everybody else seems to want you to focus on about you that's negative instead of focusing on what God has already done in your heart? You are not what people say you are when they say negative stuff over you. You are not what the teacher at school said you were that you would never amount to anything. You're not what even in jest your parent or a family member may say over you even in jest. You are what God says about you. I'm always amazed by that, 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 that little get out of jail free card that people use in our society when they'll insult somebody and then say only joking only joking but the thing is if I put a knife in Mark and I say oh, only joking it's still going to hurt isn't it and it's still going to have an effect and I believe I'm all for having a laugh and so forth but I believe we need to build one another up there's enough stuff out there that's going to try and knock you down when you come into the household of faith, it needs to be a place where you are built up, where you, you, you go out the door believing that you can do anything for God. Well, isn't that a delusion of grandeur? Well, it's like saying that the scripture that says you've been raised to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms is a delusion of grandeur. It's not delusion, it's truth. We're living in a delusion of unworthiness right now. We've been made worthy by him. Can you say amen? That means so be it. I want it in my life. Hmm. How to develop this inner image, this hope, this expectation in our heart that's going to produce the right harvest? How do we actually do that? You know, sometimes people think that it's very spiritual not to have a number of steps to do something. We don't need ten steps to do this or one step to do that. But you know, sometimes you need instruction. And you know I've never done this because I'm rubbish with technology. So if I was getting a new computer, I'd go to Mark. See, that's the abundance of my heart, and it's the change I know about technology. But I would go to Mark, and Mark, because he's learned on those things, would give me some steps how to make the computer work. Turn it on, Jeff. Okay, that would be the starting point. But whatever he would give, there'd be steps to get the job done. It wouldn't be just, oh, Jeff, just be spiritual about it. Uh, and just wax lyrical for a couple of hours about what you've seen and what you've heard, and eventually the computer will turn itself on. No, there will be some instruction. And I believe in the Word there needs to be some instruction in order for us to know how to develop a heart that's ready for harvest, how to develop hope in our heart. If I was to do a survey across the room and ask you, what is the hope in your heart? What is the expectation of your heart? For some of you, it may be that Man United beat Man City this afternoon. That may be the hope you've got. It certainly is the hope I've got. Don't judge me. <clears throat> but whatever the hope it would be, I hope it's bigger than that. I hope you start to dream with God about what you can do in your generation for Him. I hope that as a church, you're dreaming together. And I love some of these things on the wall. What a great dream just on that wall there is there for this city. And how do we develop this? Well, I'm going to take a scripture, Luke 24, you can turn there with me. It's a beautiful story of two disciples who met with Jesus after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. I love this story because it's so human, but it's so powerful. We're going to read some of it. So Luke 24, I'm going to read from verse uh, 13. Excuse me. Now that same day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and, de- and while they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Is it amazing that in your conversations that you and I have thank you, Lisa? In the conversations that you and I have, that Jesus will walk up in the midst of them and he'll listen to what's being said. So it's very important what kind of conversations we have, isn't it? But I want you to get into this story a little bit. One of my favorite comedies growing up was Friends, and I remember Joey Tribbiani getting in the map of London to find his way. And I believe sometimes in the Scriptures we need to get in the story a little bit in order to see that these were real people with the same emotions we had And they had some of the same responses we had. And these two guys were hopeless. These two guys were in despair. Their hero had been brutally murdered. And they thought he was going to be their savior. They were in complete despair. And they were leaving Jerusalem and going to Emmaus. And Emmaus literally means the place of hot springs. They were literally saying, we've had enough. We're going on a spa day. Forget this disciple, Lark. Forget all these long journeys and all these evangelistic campaigns. We are going to have some R&R. We're going to take some rest because we've had enough. <clears throat> you know when you take that kind of rest when you've had enough, it never is very restful. So they were on the, on the way to Emmaus. and I, If I was a disciple, I would be more like these two. You know when Peter had enough... He nearly killed himself and then he went off doing his job. He went fishing. These guys had it right. At least they went off and had a bit of a holiday, you know. So these are my kind of disciples. But they lost all hope. And it says they couldn't recognize Jesus. And I don't know the way we read that verse. It's almost like God spookily, mysteriously kept them from recognizing Jesus. He put Jesus in a certain way so they couldn't recognize him. They'd been with him three years. You know the reason they couldn't recognize him was not because some sovereignty hocus-pocus that God was doing to stop them recognizing him. It's simply because they had despair in their heart. They believed this guy was dead. So how can he be in front of us or how can he be walking down the road with us when there's no hope because he's already died? How can that be the case? You see, what you see with your physical eyes, even medical science tell you this, Your eyes take a photograph of the surroundings, transmit that to the brain, and the brain interprets that from what's already in your brain. So what I see right now is an interpretation. And I tell you what, you're all beautiful. (laughs) That's because of the state of my heart, no joking. But basically, what you see is not necessarily the full reality. In fact, everything that you and I see and hear is down to the interpretation of our brain and, dare I say, the inner man of the heart. What you see is down. So, for example, I can speak to Mark and Mark can say something and I can take him the wrong way and he may never mean that. But because it's in my heart, there's a problem. Do you understand? (coughs) So they they thought Jesus could not possibly be alive. They'd seen him brutally murdered. And therefore, this couldn't be Jesus. And that's why they couldn't see him. Are you with me? Now, the story goes on and it says that they were downcast their faces were downcast that's, a, that's an attribute of despair and hopelessness in verse uh, 19 it, it says Jesus asked them what things are you discussing and, 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 and they replied about Jesus of Nazareth it says in verse 19 he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one. Past tense. We had had a hope, but now we have no hope. We had hoped. And I wonder if I said to you, what did you used to hope in in God that you no longer hope in this morning? It's time to renew your hope. What did you have an expectation on that God would do five years ago? And because it may have been delayed, you've given up. But God says to you this morning, it's time for you to raise your expectation. It's time for you to have new hope in your heart. And I'm going to show you how to get that hope in there. Amen? We had hoped that he would be the one. But he's gone. And they go on, and it's almost sarcastic and... And condescending towards some of the events that had happened since the death of Jesus. You know, they'd been there when the women had said, No, he's not in the tomb, maybe he's risen. And they were like, Oh, yeah, we're still going to go on our spa day. We don't really believe you. After all, you're only women. Because in that society, women weren't treated the same. And then he goes on, he says, And they said they had visions of angels. And if you read it closely, it's almost like. They're not committed to this news. It's oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And some companions of ours, verse 24, they went to the tomb and found that it was just as the women said. Listen to this. But him, they didn't see. So they didn't believe in the resurrection. They had lost hope. And in verse 25, it says this. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are And how stupid of heart to not believe all the prophets have spoken. Jesus didn't say, look at me, I'm alive. He says, you've not believed the word. Is the word not enough for you? Didn't I say to you that I would rise again? Not only did I say that, but not all the prophets have said that. Didn't didn't God say to David 2,000 years ago that his holy one would never see decay? Didn't I say to the prophet Isaiah he would see the light of life and you didn't believe? Foolish. Because you let in your heart the disappointment and the hopelessness of what you saw with your physical eyes overtake the truth and the reality of the Word of God that was going to produce no matter what. I love this. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses... So right from Genesis 1, and all the prophets, he explained what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. (laughs) Wow. What an amazing walk that must have been. And I know sometimes as Christians, we live life from one event to another. We get topped up with a conference or we get topped up with a manifestation of the spirit and all those things are great and I'm not knocking them <clears throat> but God doesn't want you to live from event to event he wants you to live from the process of allowing the word and the spirit to work in you on a daily basis and put that word in your heart and put that hope in your heart it's better to get 10 minutes of hope in the word in you a day yeah. than have a, a flurry of it once a year at a camp yeah. That's right. let this hope go in you what do you hope for Maybe there's some disappointments in family life. You may think that can never be resurrected. God is a God of resurrection. God is a God who brings hope where there's despair. God is a God who wants you as His people to get His Word in your heart, to build that hope. So the simple answer to building hope is let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The simple answer to building that hope is allowing the Spirit to take the words of Jesus on every page and make them known to you so the light comes on on the inside. But no matter what you see in the circumstance, you've seen a greater reality on the inside of you that's going to come past to pass. And after Jesus had done this amazing teaching with them in all the scriptures, he says in verse 28, he was going to just go then. He says that as they approached the place, Jesus wasn't even going to stay with them. So the next bit is really kind of irrelevant because Jesus knew that what he'd said to them would be enough to get them to the place they needed to be, which was a place of hope. And they persuaded him to actually come in and eat with him. And when he broke the bread and he prayed, they were illuminated and they realized who it was. It wasn't because of that one moment of breaking bread that they knew who he was. It was a process of Jesus taking them through the scriptures, talking with them on the road. And then at that point, everything that happened, suddenly the light came on. It was the tipping point. Do you understand? And so often in church we want a quick fix. We want something, you know, uh, the angel to river dance before us and anoint us with Holy Ghost joy and suddenly everything's alright. And I love that. Let it happen more. But it's just the cherry on the cake and it's for you and I to bake the cake with God in the Word and in the Spirit. And it says this in verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? What was happening? Why were there hearts burning within them was it so they had a nice emotional feeling no it affected their physicality because what Jesus was doing was removing from them despair and placing in them hope he was removing that spirit of despair and placing on them a robe of hope a garment of hope again God wants to do that for you and me How will he do that? By changing our perception of reality through the Word of God. The Word was burning away defeat and depositing victory in their hearts. The Word was burning away despair, depositing hope. The Word was burning away fear, depositing love and acceptance in the Father. This is what Jesus was doing. (coughs) The Word itself is powerful. And the Word wants to work in your heart. And lastly I want to say this, number three is this, your harvest can be delayed but don't give up sowing the word in your heart, don't give up sowing the word in your heart, it may be delayed, Galatians 6, 9 says this, and let not us grow weary while doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart, losing heart is the key. If you don't lose heart as you saw in the word in. So, for example, with all you're doing in evangelism, with all the activity of getting the event ready on a Friday night, all the activity of inviting people to Alpha. As Mark said this morning, don't do that in your own strength. What do you see in your heart? Do you see what Mark saw in his dream of this room full of people? Do you see what the word says? It says the word says this about evangelism in Acts twenty eight, twenty eight. It says this: Let it be known that the gospel has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. How about building that into your heart? You know, like with every one of us, we've been on evangelism, talking to people, and you say hi, and you, somebody says f off to you. But don't let that be in your heart. Let the word be in your heart that says this: They will listen. They will listen. They will listen. Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And it's time to build those things in your heart. It's time to say, this is really powerful. No matter what I see out there, I'm going to build a powerful image in my heart from the word of God. It's time to sow the gospel. It's time to sow the word into your heart and out of that abundance to sow it into other people. This is why in the church we need people to have teachable spirits because if you are not receiving the word what are you giving out? half a loaf is better than none a rolling stone gathers no moss I mean if we don't have the word in us we'll give out all sorts of stupid statements but when we've got the word in us it's going to come out of our mouth when we've got the say well I don't need the word I need the love of God it's all about the love of God you know it says this that God is love but it says God is the word he's both he's both In fact, they're the same. If you let the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to you in the Word, He's revealing love. Stand with me, would you? Just close your eyes in the presence of God. Everybody close their eyes. I want to read to you a psalm. And I want to pray thank you jesus thank you father for every single one of these people that are so precious to you psalm this is psalm 126 verses 5 to 6 those who sow in tears you may be stood there now with your eyes closed thinking i don't want to put the word in my heart i've done that before and it's not worked jeff you may be thinking i don't want, i've not got time i'm so busy But even if you do it in tears, even if it costs you something, even if there's pain involved, even if there's a readdressing of priority, those who sow in tears, the Bible says, shall reap in joy. He who continually goes goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall without doubt come again, rejoicing with the harvest. You notice that phrase without doubt. This is the way God works. The whole operation of God, Jesus declared that it was like a seed sown in the ground. And it's going to produce a harvest. Father, I pray that you would give every single person in this room the desire to sow into their heart again your words. Your word for their family, your word for their health, your word for their finance, your word for their community, your word of restoration, your word over this community of faith, your word into the city, that they would sow, 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 sow the word. And Father, I thank you that they will reap in joy. And I thank you, it says in your word, that you even give seed to the sower. So, Father, for those who who find it difficult even to read the Bible, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would give them the ability to open the Word and find sustenance in the Word that will develop hope in their heart fresh. Father, those who have no hunger for your Word, give them a hunger right now to get in your Word again. Give them a hunger, supernatural hunger, I pray over this congregation. Supernatural hunger for your Word. Supernatural hunger for your presence, Father.